Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Lisa Niver, who is an award-winning travel expert who has explored 102 countries on six continents. She's a University of Pennsylvania graduate who sailed across the seas for seven years with Princess Cruises, Royal Caribbean, and Renaissance Cruises, and spent three years backpacking across Asia. Her articles have been in publications such as AARP, The Magazine, AAA Explorer, Wired, Wharton Magazine, as well as her site, We Said Go Travel. On her award-nominated global podcast, Make Your Own Map, Niver has interviewed Deepak Chopra, Olympic medalists, and numerous best-selling authors, and as a journalist has been invited to both the Oscars and the United Nations. For her print and digital stories, as well as her television segments, she has been awarded three Southern California Journalism Awards and two National Arts and Entertainment Journalism Awards, and been a finalist 22 times. Named a number three travel influencer for 2023, Niver talks travel on broadcast television at KTLA TV Los Angeles, her YouTube channel with over 2 million views, and in her new memoir, Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Ronita. It's such an honor to be here with you on your show today. Thank you very much for being here. I would love to get started by having you share a little bit about Bravish, what it's about for people who haven't read it yet, and what story you were hoping to tell. Thank you so much. So my memoir is called Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. And what happened for me is a variety of of dramas happened in my life. And I ended up on this journey doing 50 challenges before I turned 50. And that was the part I really wanted to tell, the 50 things before I turned 50. And I met with a few agents and they're like, oh no, no, this story has to start with your divorce. And I wasn't that oh. interested in telling that part of the story. Oh. Well, why, so what do you understand about that request now? Yes, exactly. Now, looking back, I agree with them. What somebody said to me, you know, I, Patricia Schultz, I know her from the Travel and Adventure Show, and she has the book 1,000 Places to See Before You Die. And I actually had the opportunity to speak with her publisher. And the publisher was like, listen, we do 1,000 things, and you have 50. Mm. And your 50 is not prescriptive. You're not saying every single person should do these 50 things. She said, that'd Mm. be a different book. But your 50 things is about very personal on your journey relative to why you made those choices is your life. And this, you know, the divorce that we started the book with is is the jumping off point. She's like, you people have to care about you mm-hmm. to care about these particular 50 things. I was like, oh, that is very accurate. <laughs> did that did that click into place pretty quickly or did you did you struggle to agree with her in the beginning? I agreed with her, but that did not mean I was interested in doing it. Yeah, for sure. So so did that material that you wrote end up being some of the more recent material, the divorce material? What happened was I started over multiple times. I had written quite a lot when I first went out and met with that first round of agents. And that was when I learned about developmental editors. I had taken a class at Kepler's online with Alka Joshi. 
And she talked about working with her developmental editor and she talked about revising the henna artist for 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) I know we all, those stories, when you hear those stories and you're working on your book, it's a little disheartening. It's very disheartening because I was thinking, well, when do you count from? That's always been my thing, you know, on Shark Tank, they they always say, you know, it takes 10 to 12 years to become an overnight success. And I'm like, okay, but what do I start from? Like from today? (laughs) Like, are we starting from when I got off the cruise ship? And does that count for my travel identity? Does it count from the very, very first person who ever published me? Or like inception, inception (laughs) of the idea. I mean, and also, by the way, whenever I'm traveling, I make sure to watch Shark Tank. I just love watching that on a hotel bed that's like my favorite my favorite thing but anyway I digress I, totally so I love that show I the older I get the more I love it so I love talking about this Lisa because I think our ideas of where to begin and then when other readers and potentially experts take a look what they believe and then holding holding fast to what our vision is but also being flexible enough to give over a little bit and see what else we can try so once you started writing the material for to cover this like relationship breakup and what drove you to begin this next chapter of your life what was that process like for you it was really interesting I investigated I talked to people in my writing group I took these classic Kepler's and the advice I was given was to interview a lot of developmental editors Hmm. and it's sort of like dating right like you know Mm -hmm. are you a match are you a fit what's your vision Mm -hmm. and when I did pick someone my friend who features heavily in the book, she's called Teresa in the book. She said to me, you know, if you are going to do this, are you going to lean into this developmental editor process? She has to be your North Star. You have to believe in her Mm -hmm. vision of the project with you and not take polls. Like you can't go back to your writing class, your writing group, be like, oh, she said this. She's Mm -hmm. like, you have to make a decision. (laughs) If this train leaves the station with her, she's the conductor. Wow. So it's really an act of trust and faith once you make the decision. For me, that was what was necessary to make it work. I think a lot of people work in editing situations very differently. But because it was so personal and so challenging to write, I couldn't, I I just had to control as many variables as I could. So this makes me think that I love that we're talking about uh, developmental editing because I don't think I've actually covered that on the show very much Mm. before. So this is very exciting to me. And I'm going to just ask a few more questions before we get into your specific manuscript and have you share some of it. I'm wondering when you were interviewing these developmental editors, did they read a synopsis of your book? I mean, how did you get to know that they understood what you wanted to do? Did they read any of your pages? Because I would imagine they can't read the entire manuscript, or maybe they can before you hire them. Yes, it it is. You know, when people say, how do you make a living as a travel writer or a travel journalist or any kind of journalist? And everyone's explanation is like, well, I have you know all these different piles, and I do this, and I do video, and I do TV finding a developmental editor, they have the same mosaic of lifestyle. So some people did, in fact, I, th- I 
offered them what I currently had written and some were willing to read some of it. I mean, they charge by the oh. page. That's their work. Ah, so they're not going to read it on spec to decide. Like they're reading it. All The people you interviewed had to read some pages that you paid for for them to give you their take. Honestly, it were as many different ways as it could work, mm -hmm. it does. So there mm -hmm. were some people that you must pay up front to decide if they'll work with you, which that was too hard for me. I was like, no, that's never going to work. I need mm -hmm. to. And then the woman who I did end up working with, we had a different relationship with that. She was like, I, I have to see where you're at and if your style matches mine. And, you know, like she had done a lot of work in the genre. In fact, she had said to me, one of her first questions was, what drew you to travel writing and who do you like? And mm -hmm. I said, oh, I, I don't know if you would know this book, but this uh, guy wrote about Vanuatu, about getting stoned with the savages, and he's had several books. And when I was in China, I read his book about China. And she looks at me, she says, do you, do you remember anything from the end of the book? I said, what do you mean? She says, you know, in the, in the comments or the, the acknowledgments. And I said, I, I don't think so, but I read it a long time ago. She says, do you remember that he was talking about his develop his his editor was in labor and delivery finishing the book? And I said, I do not, because that was me. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And also the fact that she was in the same genre, right? That she was very familiar with what you were trying to achieve. I mean, that's right there, a big win. It was a huge win, especially because one of the things that I liked about him is that bad things would happen, but he was still really funny. And I mm -hmm. think that's important. His name's Martin Troust. And I think that's important. Like, you know, that piece of it is, you know, what's your style? And, and when I did eventually get an agent, one of the things that Chip had said to me was, you know, in a lot of travel books, things go wrong, but they're mm -hmm. really minor inconveniences, you know, like, oh, my, my flight was delayed. He's and. <laughs> Bad things happen for you. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really, okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. And so then once you hired, and I know this is very, very uh, dependent on the working relationship and the workload and how the author's going as well, but how much time would you say with the developmental editor did you spend before you had what was ready to go? Well, one of the things that happened is I found and the sometime late in 2019. And I was very busy in the end of 2019 and early 2020. I was doing a lot of travel video and I was on KTLA doing travel segments. And then in March 2020, when the COVID lockdown started, that of course we thought was two weeks, mm -hmm. both of our work lives completely changed. And mm -hmm. So we were able to meet virtually. We we had a lot of phone calls and I stopped traveling completely for quite a long time and I chose to use that time to work on my book. So we had a lot of phone calls, uh, was sending pages back and forth. And so that was 2020. In 2021, I signed with my agent. In 2022, we signed with the publisher and the book came out in 2023. Great. Thank you so much for giving that profile because I think that really helps to kind of capture what the process can be like. And I'm, I'm so sorry about, I mean, COVID really hit authors hard. I mean, everyone hard, but there's a number of authors who even launched during the pandemic and really still feel the effects of that now. It is really interesting 
how challenging it was for different people. And, you know, in one of the things that I've read a lot about is, you know, we talk a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also post-traumatic growth. And Mm -hmm. it is interesting how people manage. Alka Joshi, who I mentioned already, during the her book, The Henna Artist, turned out to be a Reese Witherspoon book club, which obviously helps you sell books and, and shows <laughs> just that a you, little bit. <laughs> and shows that you have a great book. Mm-hmm. She literally answered every single email. She went to every single book club she was invited to virtually because it was COVID. I think that in a year she was at like four hundred book clubs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you you can sometimes find a way, but you're right. A lot of people that had plans in you know mid 2020 for these giant book tours, obviously that didn't happen. And I I do think that's really hard on people because you get so excited, like I'm gonna be in all these cities and I'm gonna see all my friends and I'm gonna meet new people. It's been a challenging time. Yes. And I do want to echo what you said. Uh, It was during the pandemic that my book came out and my my first book. And I met so many writers online and in communities and just helping each other, you know, promote one another's books and work. And I still have those friends. And I don't know that had the pandemic not happened and we were not all sitting in our homes kind of waiting it out, that I would have connected with all these lovely, lovely writers who have since become friends beyond writer friends so I do think I like I like how you put that about growing as well so with the post-traumatic what what how did you put it post-traumatic growth so that yes <laughs> there's there's a book called super survivors that I read during my divorce and it, it spoke a lot about forgiveness and that you know forgiveness doesn't mean you're saying what happened is okay mm-hmm. and one of the things they talked about is I'm in Los Angeles. And so in Los Angeles, we talk a lot about driving and traffic. It's a big issue. And <laughs> I, know, I live there. I live there in my um, 30s. Yes. Okay. So you know. But mm-hmm. so one of the things in the book talked about if you only look in the rearview mirror, can you get where you're going? Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, wait, <laughs> uh, this shouldn't be so, re- you know, revelatory. But it's like this heavens opened up. I was like, oh, yeah, because in therapy, there was a long time in therapy where, you know, my therapist was trying to help me. And I was like, I want a different past. She's like, I, I don't have a magic wand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How many people would sign up for a different past? I mean, yeah. <laughs> although, well, although then we wouldn't be who we were and we wouldn't create the work that we do, et cetera. <laughs> Exactly. It's a tension, right? It's a, it's a great tension for a story because you're like, I don't want this. But like you just said, you wouldn't be who you are. And so it's a it's an integration question. Uh, and we, we obviously, in these challenging times with the war on Israel, and mm-hmm. we've already talked about the pandemic, we are all living in terribly tragic, challenging times. But every day we have to get up and decide what are our choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did have that book really helped me put down my I really was on a quest for a magic wand, which obviously I was never going to find. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't tell you what I was working on my book. Well, I, I feel like I'm always looking for a magic wand. Too many fairy tales, too many fairy tales when I was growing up. But um, I can't tell you how many times early in my manuscript for my memoir, I just wanted to, you know, when I was working with different editors, I felt like I, I was delivering like an injured animal. Please help me. Please fix this. Can we please? 
please take this to the infirmary and you can tell me what's going on here. So aside from that book, which which helped with your mindset, uh, can you identify what motivated you to keep writing when the work got hard? And, you know, how did you complete the manuscript when you were feeling tired or beleaguered? In fairness, this is a question that I ask myself because there were many, many times that I quit this project, meant mm. countless times. It was felt really too hard. And I had a friend that kept saying to me, why are you doing this? You don't have to write this book. You, you have, at the time, she's like, you don't have an agent. You don't have a publisher. You don't know if anything will happen with this. You're lying on the floor crying. Like I used to, I used to write until I was sure I was going to throw up, and then I would lie on the floor. <laughs> if I'm not about to vomit, I haven't done my work. <laughs> well, I like what you said about the injured animal. I didn't have that imagery, but basically, I, I used to think about my developmental editor. I'm like, she can't help me if I don't send her something. She can't edit yeah. blank pages. So I was like, even if it's bad. But when it got really hard, I would. I would quit in my mind, which I've reinterpreted now as this thing I wasn't that familiar with called rest, take a break. <laughs> okay, sorry. I actually thought you were going to tell me another technical term. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I, I, I learned that other, other humans, instead of quitting, say maybe I should have a rest time, a nap, a break, get a snack. Yeah. I was like, I'm quitting. But um, the thing that kept me going is, I felt really compelled that it was necessary to do the writing. And in fairness, it was very cathartic for me personally to write through it. It was hard, but I believe for my, if I never showed it to anyone, if it never got published, it was still worth it. And, and that wasn't the reason I kept going. I kept going because I honestly felt fairly compelled I, I my friend who's a rabbi is like you were called to write this and I was like I don't know about that she's like that's what you're describing and that may be true I do have the persistent personality uh, I think part of it is I'm a teacher by training and I basically was like kind of assigning myself homework like I would put on my schedule tomorrow you know write I used to write and I used to try and write a thousand words at least before I took, before I was done for the day. Some days I couldn't. Yeah. Some days yeah. I wrote a hundred words. <laughs> I mean, it does help if you're a self-motivating person, right? I mean, I just had lunch with someone recently who said that they had started a new job. They, they have written before and grant written before. And I shared some websites for writing with them. And they said to me, it had been a while since we saw each other. And she said, you know, I took this job in a different field. And she said, I'm just not going to do those things on my own. I'm just not going to produce a lot of writing on my own and she knew that about herself mm. and so she kind of shifted gears and that was okay because she she doesn't identify solely as a writer but I realized that for this work we kind of have to self-motivate quite a lot and there are writing groups and there are cohorts you can even pay for that are accountability groups that will help you if you don't normally have this little flame inside of you to keep you going but I do think that it is really that that kind of head down and keep working and you know I meant to ask you when you approached agents was this with a full manuscript or had it been on a proposal did you sell on proposal I sold on proposal I used the book there's a book, it's called something like How to Write Your Proposal. Uh -huh. And I had a proposal coach. And I 
uh, for nonfiction, I was told you could do proposal plus three chapters. So we had gotten three polished chapters, mm-hmm. was prologue chapter one and two, because you can send any three chapters. But and, and I had thought about writing out of order because, you know, the, the second half of the book with the 50 challenges before I'm 50 is not so emotionally dramatic mm-hmm. and hard to write. But I, I didn't, that didn't work for me. I had to write in order. So I sent mm-hmm. um, proposal, chapter one, chapter two, which in in later were m- much edited down. They were very long when they went with the proposal. And it was a challenge. I mean, one of the things that I think is hard about nonfiction writing or maybe any kind of writing or, or maybe it's all books is every phase you need skills that really have nothing to do with the phase before. Yes. Yeah, do you want to do you want to expand on that? <laughs> sure. So you think I want to write a book and I'm going to have a topic and I'm writing these words and isn't this so great? Well then editing is a skill that in fairness maybe has nothing to do with writing. I mean there are people that are great editors and great writers. I am in the writing side. I always need editing help. And I'm very willing to accept edits. I know that a lot of writers are, you know, they're very precious and this is how I want it. I'm always like, please make this better. I really related (laughs) to your injured animals. I'm like, I give this to you and make it sound like I meant it. And then the search for an agent is, you know, as as a journalist, I'm pretty good at investigating and I followed everybody's suggestions you know go to the bookstore and take the books you like and read at the end who's their agent and write to that person I think that is actually good advice and get on publishers marketplace and read Mm -hmm. who's doing the deals and then you're like okay I know how to do this and then I was fortunate I got an agent and the agent was in charge of the pitching to the publishing company thank goodness but then you know more edits my favorite one of my favorite moments was when the editor and the publisher and my agent, everyone's like, okay, so about the permissions. I'm like, yeah, yeah, get on that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're like, what do you, no, no, you do that. I'm like, I do that? What do you guys do? Come on. <laughs> and so then I'm like, all right, I accept that I have to do it. Send me the form. There's no form, Lisa. Is this the first book ever in the history of the world that needed permissions? What's Where's the form? There's no form, Lisa. I was like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. You'll figure it out. Find the people. Ask them. Right? I was like, it's not like I'm the first one. I know. I know. Actually, my mind is in a lot of places, including that you could have a sign up on your website that includes if you sign up for my mailing list, I will give you the form for permissions. (laughs) (laughs) But that's very niche. Um, But I think that you're right about all the different hats. And then that's not even the marketing hat later. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you know what, talking to you about this, I knew this and I'm conscious of how hard it is to be an author who wants their work in the world, let alone just being an author, right? But I think that this really highlights exactly how many different moving parts there are and how and why it is so exhausting to propel ourselves and our work and what we want to see in the world into the world. I mean, it's just very tiresome. And if you have a full-time job, if you have a family, if you have children, if you're caring for an older parent, anything, it's it's very difficult. So I, I hope this this helps people remember to be kind to themselves and to realize that they're not supposed to be great at all of this and it's okay not to like some of it or a lot of it. Do you want to set up that excerpt you're going to read and then read it? 
Sure. I just want to say one more thing about the one more hat. So the book promotion part is a whole nother animal of marketing that you mentioned. So I actually interviewed 15 book publicists. Oh my gosh. Okay. You are on top of it. And I I wrote a three-part series that I can send you the links. And where is it? It's on my website uh, on We Said Go Travel website, but I'm going, we're going to make a new page on, I have a lisaniver.com site okay, also. Okay, good. Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. People will love this. Yeah, I because it was really interesting. A lot of book publicists are also authors. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of suggestions of how they did their book, but a lot of it needs to start early. Like, Like, oh yeah, you should have, you know, I had evolved my social media. It was all we said go travel because that was my website from 2010. And I evolved it over COVID to Lisa Niver because no one looks at your book and then searches we said go travel. They search mm-hmm. your name. So people are like, oh, you should really, you know, you, you need social media and maybe you could have a podcast and maybe you could have a newsletter. And I was like, you know, for a lot of people, they don't want all of these jobs. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to say that publicists, I I come into contact with a lot of publicists because of the podcast and it's been very lovely. And it also gives me a great window into this pitching side, right? Mm -hmm. Because I pitch articles and I I reach out to editors, et cetera, for my writing. But it's very interesting to be on the receiving end. Also, I edit at a literary magazine. And so I, it's very nice and I enjoy being able to have perspective like this and to kind of incorporate it all into my knowledge and understanding of what makes this tick. I, but I do agree with you about telling people, you know, it's, it's a long journey. It's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. And ask for help. You know, like you said, you made friends with different authors People are very friendly online or, you know, I'm in a writing group that people are always offering help or, you know, I, I took Alka Joshi's class and then I reached out to her and I interviewed her and she interviewed me. She did a blurb for my book. I mean, you never know what sending that one email will lead to. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, if you have the resources, if you have the money, absolutely hire the experts for this. And also, no, I agree with you 100% that you do need to start in advance. You do need to start pitching bigger places and platforms and bookstores months in advance, not one month, not a couple of weeks, not even two months. Many of these places, unless you're super established already and have a giant platform, you really need to get ahead of it like five months four months, six months ahead. Yes, it's a, it's a long journey. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. good. I mean, I've been having so much fun. I can't wait. I got to sign my book in New York at Ad Week. And fun. I'm going to Philadelphia. I'm signing at my alumni bookstore. That is so exciting. And it's, it's just such a great full circle feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it's so nice. And it's really nice to meet people that I know love the book and they're in the book. And then, but to meet people that are new to you and they're like, oh, I'm so interested in this and I, I want to do some challenges. And, you mm-hmm. know, one of the things I always tell people is start very small. Like, you know, people say to me, you traveled everywhere. I'm like, well, first of all, I lived on a cruise ship. So my house moved. So that's different. <laughs> but I always tell people, you know, if, if you really haven't traveled that much or you, you didn't, you know, during COVID, you retracted and were home. You know, you don't get on a plane for 30 hours and go somewhere for three months. Like, 
Find a place that's an hour from your house. Take a bus, take a train, drive your own car and go for one night. Like, you know, we all, we don't, it's funny. I always say, tell people, you know, when a, your child starts to walk and they stand up and they take one step and they fall down, you don't look at them and go, you're never going to learn to walk. <laughs> Right? Like, oh, right. that's so great. Do it again. I'm take a picture. <laughs> but but people are like, oh, I'm going to go on a solo journey to six countries. And I was like, really? Yeah, that's How a about, lot. You're, the, uh, you're my friend that only goes to one restaurant. Like, why, why don't you go to a new <laughs> restaurant, like, on the other side of town? Like, start... Starts. That reminds me when I, I had, I'm going to disclose some very embarrassing personal <laughs> details, which is that I, I I failed three road tests in high school. And um, yes, that's that's three. And at the time, I was living on Long Island. And so then I went to college in upstate New York. I went to SUNY Binghamton. Mm-hmm. And then I decided I better get a license. I better do this. So I started paying for my own lessons. And I finally passed. And I, I never had to drive because I moved to the city after that. <laughs> and then when I decided to move to LA, I told one of my actor friends who I'd done a movie with yeah I'm gonna just drive out to LA uh that's that's how I'm gonna move there and he (laughs) said I don't I don't really think that's a good idea I think and I was like I really think it's like trial by fire I should do it and you know I am so glad I listened to the people who cared about me and I took a plane to LA and I learned how to drive slowly and did get into an accident you know so anyhow I digress let's read have you read this this section okay so the we talked a little bit about that I, we didn't really talk about that. I had some issues with my eyes. Uh, everybody thought that I was clumsy. Turns out I'm not clumsy at all. I um, had problems with my eyes. And I fixed my eyes and I started on these challenges to do 50 crazy things before I turned 50. Well, they weren't crazy. But anyway, they started very, very small. But for my 50th challenge, I decided to do something that I can't still in a lot of ways can't believe I agreed to, but it's helped me. I've done so many other challenges. So this is me in San Diego uh, on my birthday and getting ready for my 50th challenge for my 50th birthday. The next morning, I woke up and waited until it was time to drive to go jump Oceanside. When I arrived, they told me that due to the cloud cover, I would have to wait. During the two hours, I talked with my trained tandem instructor. My guide asked me about my project. I mentioned a few things before getting to scuba diving with bull sharks. He said, I would never do that. I am afraid of sharks. I was nearly unable to speak. The man who flings himself regularly and for money as a job and changed his entire life to be able to train and continue to skydive is afraid of sharks. I am not so afraid of sharks. He continued, how can you be scared of skydiving if you scuba with sharks? For the first time, it hit me in a new way that brave is relative. I'd always thought of bravery as a light switch, one or the other. You either had it turned on and you were brave and did things, or you in the dark and you weren't. As though being brave meant the same thing to all people. I realized brave is unique to each person. I wasn't afraid to scuba with the sharks anymore because I was well-trained and had experience. This guy might have once been afraid to jump, but now he loved it. Not everyone was afraid of biking, but I had been, so it was brave for me. My mind was blown. If I let fear win and never tried, my life would be smaller. 
but I only needed to accomplish my tasks to push myself, not everyone else's. I wanted to grow and learn to approach new experiences with excitement instead of terror. It was one thing if something just wasn't for me, but I didn't want to be stuck. I didn't want to not jump out of the plane only because I was afraid to. I told myself that I would say Shehachianu, a Jewish blessing for the first time we encountered something new or arrived in a new place, or for me, a new state of being in the plane. It wasn't the first time I thought to say this prayer as part of my 50 Things project. One of the reasons I wanted to leave Asia and eventually Fred was that I was missing my connection to community and Judaism. Prayers comfort me, and I found the need to celebrate these new moments. My life was literally evolving as I watched. I'd stood on ships in Alaska when I was working and watched the glaciers calve. I could see the change happening with the refrigerator-sized pieces. Now I was strapped to another human being with five points of connection, and as I trusted him to guide me with the parachute safely back to earth, I reflected on how much I had changed. It wasn't always obvious at every moment, but having completed 50 tasks and reached my 50th birthday, I gained clarity. My perspective perspective had shifted during the entire process of completing each challenge along the way. When he pushed off the edge, we free fell away from the plane. I saw the ocean and the sky and the plane and the other people. We flew through the air like a bird. The wind pulled my face backward and the earth rushed up at me. And then we peacefully floated like clouds. Thank you. So as you reflect on the process of writing Bravish, you know, maybe you have a little bit more distance now or perspective from it. What do you think it helped show or teach you about yourself and your life so far? Oh, my goodness. It showed me so much. I had so little perspective on myself and my life, partially because literally what was wrong with my eyes meant that it was hard for me to have perspective. My eyes didn't work right together. But this writing the book, you know, doing the 50 things, I I don't know that I had, certainly by the time I got to skydiving, I knew I had changed. But writing the book really brought it home that I had changed so much. And even last week was my 56th birthday and I did a doors off helicopter flight in oh over gosh. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they just have no doors and you're just buckled in? You are, you're strapped in almost looks like that you're going to go skydiving or, or mm-hmm. rappelling. There's a lot of strap, the seatbelt and a cable and it's very secure. But the thing that was interesting was it never occurred to me once I found out about it to anything but I'm going. And when I posted it on social media, the video, it's I'm fascinated by people's response because people are like, I would never do that. I can't watch it. And I was like, wait, yeah, I used to be like that. See how much I've changed. And mm-hmm. it is really like I wrote in that part of the book. I, I There are certain things I have completely disinterested in. Like I I... I don't go on jet skis and I don't want to go on a jet ski, but I'm not, I'm not, it's not because I'm afraid. I have legit reasons why that's not in my repertoire. 
And so I just didn't want to not skydive or not go on the helicopter because I was afraid. I, I can make choices. I don't want to do something. It's mm-hmm. not like I have to do everything now. Mm-hmm. But I just feel more confident in my choice and that it's coming from a place of, you know, what aligns with my values and what do I want to spend my time in? You know, I'd rather be scuba diving. I went fishing for the first time. Fishing's nice. I'd rather be underwater. I'm going to go scuba diving next time there's a choice. But mm-hmm. I tried it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so what advice would you like to share with writers working on their memoirs? My advice for writers working on memoir is ask for help and be part of a community. I think that we've talked about that a lot today. And that for me made a huge difference. Having a community in writing and outside of writing. Um, you know, I, I go to Shabbat services at the temple where I grew up, where I had my bat mitzvah, where I had my wedding. I'm, I'm now on the board at my temple and it's very important to me. And having that structure going every Friday that I'm in town and I see the same people and, you know, it's very important to have real people that you connect with and whether it's on Zoom or not. Uh, But I know that so many people are so worried about their social feeds and their social media. And this is a time that we have an epidemic of loneliness. And it's very important. Writing can feel very alienating and lonely on top of that. And so I think it's really important to have other things like I, I do ceramics and going there and doing something that's not on the computer was very important to me as a you know, like a foil, like I'm on the computer and now I'm playing with clay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. And is there a memoir or two that you'd like to recommend? Mm. Well, we talked about um, Trous Vanuatu, the um, Getting Stone with the Savages. That definitely helped me think all of his books. And I love Christy Tate's books, Group and BFF. Mm-hmm. I think those are really fascinating books. And I really like Lori Gottlieb's book, uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Oh, yes. And, you know, Christy Tate was uh, a guest of mine for my first season. Oh, she was. She's so yes. nice. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. So I'll add those in the show notes as well as the links that you, you mentioned before for your article. Yes, the book promotion. I'll send you that. Yes. And where can people find you? I think you mentioned it before, but you may as well say it one more time. So I have a two websites. I have We Said Go Travel. And I also have my name, Lisa Niver. And on social media, everywhere, I'm Lisa Niver. And if you check me out this week on YouTube, I'm in 5,000 views. I'll have over 2 million views on YouTube. Wow. That is a lot of work. You have a lot of hustle. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. I love talking with you. I love talking with you too. And I'm so excited to hear more about your writing. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.